0: And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton-Garino.
1: Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. We are very snowy here in Maine on this fine December 3rd. Uh, Happy snowstorm, East Coast. Wow, it's a doozy. Um, It waited for us (laughs) until today. So, yeah, it's dumping snow and blowing wind. So, if something happens to the show, we will reschedule, right, Lisa? Oh, my gosh. We've rescheduled. We have rescheduled this show a few times um, just with my own scheduling conflicts and so forth. So, she's finally here, everybody. We have Lisa Wentz. Um, she's the founder of the San Francisco Voice Center. She's a public speaking expert and accent specialist and author of Grace Under Pressure, a masterclass in public speaking. So, we're So thankful that you're here, Lisa. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank
2: you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and uh, for everybody listening, you can go to lisawentz.com, L-I-S-A-W-E-N-T-Z.com. So this makes me nervous, like I'm going to get picked on for my public speaking skills, Lisa. That's so funny. Uh, You know, it is a
2: funny thing, isn't it? I feel the same way when I am, speaking at a conference, because being a public speaking coach primarily, even though I've, I coach various things under the umbrella of communication skills, when you're up on stage talking about how to be a better speaker, it feels the same way. All of a sudden, you think, <laughs> oh, of course they're going to be judging me or something like that, right? But I think those yeah. listeners are not. They're just li- listening for and looking for things that they can use and uh, tips and guidance um, that they can apply for themselves, I think. That's a good lesson for everyone, that typically your listeners really aren't thinking about whether or not you're a great speaker or how you are as a speaker, but really just, you know, what they're learning
1: from what you're saying, what your message is. Yeah, absorbing the information, because I don't know about you, Lisa, but I am far from perfect. So we're just going to go with it here. And um just so you all are aware, we have never met in person and we're on opposite ends of the country. So I will do my best to try very hard to recognize when Lisa is pausing and speaking and not interrupt her. It is a challenge for me. So I will I will do my very best. Sometimes you guys write in saying, stop interrupting. So I'm like, I know, I know. I'm trying, I'm working on that. Um, Lisa, public speaking is can be for a lot of people absolutely terrifying. Um, I, I had a, a pretty high-level keynote speaker on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and even he admitted that he gets a little terrified before he goes on to do a keynote. Any comments there? Because, you know, that's probably a huge hurdle to get over, fear.
2: Yeah, I certainly have plenty to say. The first thing, though, particular to your guests, The more you do it, the more comfortable you are, typically speaking, like many things in life, right? It's a skill that we learn, that we get used to doing. I think the reason that most people have an initial fear of public speaking is because it's not a skill that's taught in school, not really, you know, maybe a little bit here and there, but not really. And what happens is we get into the workforce or we have some need or reason to speak out of, you know, some reason publicly, and suddenly we are faced with doing something that we don't really have a lot of experience doing and there's an internal pressure to be perfect and then it's coupled with a fear of judgment and that is my basic description of or definition of stage fright. And then you get the physiological uh, aspects of stage fright, you know, maybe some uh, nervous signs like sweaty palms or maybe you get a little red or maybe your, your mouth gets dry, it depends on the person Uh, but then you have these physiological responses, and that's another thing that we're not taught as we grow up or we're not taught by caregivers or we're not taught by in school. How do we deal with our physiological responses to nervousness? So for some people, it can be debilitating because they think, oh, I'm never going to be good at this. I'm just going to go up and, and sweat every time I have a speech, and I've done it now 10, 20 times this year, but for some reason it's still happening. So I think... You know, in terms of your guest being an accomplished speaker, still having some residual anxiety and whatnot, again, I think it has to do with, uh, it's a skill that's learned, and it takes some time. Uh, and if you're doing it on your own without any coaching, it'll take a little bit longer to get more comfortable with it. But if you seek out a coach, then you'll move through that much faster. Does that, hmm. Is that helpful at all?
1: Oh, I think it's extremely helpful. And what made you um, get involved in all of this in the first place? You know, I was an actress (laughs) primarily on stage for
2: 10 years in my 20s. And then um, my first pedagogical degree in Alexander Technique, I obtained that at the age of 33, uh, the three-year teaching program, and started teaching in conservatories, drama conservatories, uh, Alexander Technique is taught primarily in drama conservatories and music conservatories and has to do with what we were just talking about, our responses to nervousness, stress, dealing with our physiological responses, <clears throat> Excuse me, and also fine-tuning sort of the body and the mind use. Um, so I was working in conservatories and decided that I would like to go further in my career So I decided to obtain a master's degree in voice and speech studies from the Central School of Speech and Drama, University of London, which is the epicenter of that kind of work, at least in the Western world. And while I was Mm -hmm. over there, while I was doing my master's uh, program, I was once again working primarily with actors. And I decided to do my thesis on voice, speech, and body language in the courtroom and how it affects juries and the need for this kind of training and advocacy training in law schools. Uh, And I started to work with recent graduates in London. I worked with a few barristers in London. Then I came back to the U.S. and started to work with some trial lawyers here, you know, to make my thesis, my argument that the work is needed. And I started to see pretty quickly that the kind of work I do could really help many more people than I was helping as an acting trainer, teacher. And Mm -hmm. it's not that I don't love theater and I don't love drama. I love great writing. I love Tennessee Williams. I love Shakespeare and so forth. But when it comes to teaching, there's a much more profound effect I can have with somebody in the business world or in law or nonprofit speakers um, that I feel better about in a way. I feel that I'm helping more people in a more profound way. So that's why I switched over, and that's how I ended up in the place I'm, I am today.
1: Got it. What, uh, what made you write a book? It's pretty interesting. To, I, it's really one of the best books I've seen on public speaking. Like, without having, like I, I feel pretty graced here myself to have access to you and, and share this access um, to you with the best ever You Network for sure. However, if I didn't have that, your book is very well written. I, I think anybody could pick up that book and really um, polish up their public speaking skills by a book, mm, which you. is unusual. That's hard to that's hard to achieve in book format. I would I would guess. Yeah.
2: So the question of why did I write it in the first place? There's two answers really, and one answer you're hitting on right now, which is that most public speaking books are either analytical and talk about style, or you know they're analyzing TED Talks, or they're talking about things sort of from an external point of view, um, or they are really focused on getting over your fear of public speaking, and it's a little bit more psychological. And uh, both are great, and there's nothing wrong with either one of those formats. But what I felt was missing, and I think most people feel this way, if they're going to write a book, there must be a reason to write it. There, there must be a hole somewhere that they want to contribute. And what was missing for me was that there's very few books, public speaking books, that is, on the physicality of voice and speech training. And my book is is sectioned into three parts, as you know, but for the listeners, it's three parts. The first part is primarily focused on the work I've done with clients in terms of overcoming things that hold us back, from taking speaking engagements, from, you know, overcoming H and so forth. So there is some psychological aspects to it. Um, and there's a lot of client stories. I change the names and occupations for anonymity for my clients, of course. Uh, but that section is unusual to come across. And the middle section, which is about voice and speech training, your posture, your voice, the resonant sound of your voice, your articulation training, all the things that feed into becoming a really good speaker on a physical level doesn't usually appear in a public speaking book either. And then the last part is a little bit more of that uh, more common analytical uh, side. Why are some speakers really engaging in certain areas and how can you develop your own style and allow your own charisma to come out and how do you, you know, storytelling and the rest of it. So more directorial advice, I would say. Um, so in any case, so the but what you were touching upon is how do we actually from a book – You know, make progress. How do we apply it? And Mm -hmm. this book has 34 exercises from start to finish so that people can do the exercises, they can uh, train themselves. I still think that if, you want, if you're a professional speaker or you want to be a good, really good speaker, then yes, you should see a coach because it is something just like a director and an actor relationship. You need a little bit of an outside eye, especially from a really strong professional, you know, and something mm-hmm. that can move you through whatever needs polishing or move you through some blocks quickly and move on. Um, so the exercises, I think, really make a difference. You don't usually open up a public speaking book and have something you can you, you have a story, but you don't have a tangible exercise to solve the problem that you're facing. Um, but on a personal note, so that's my professional <laughs> response yeah. to you. My personal response was that first part of the book that I'm referring to, the what holds us back section. You know, time and time again, I would have clients coming to me and saying things like, I have a debilitating fear of public speaking. And I would say, do you know where it's from? And they would say something like, yes, I had abusive parents that told me to shut up all the time. Or I had an abusive uh, school teacher growing up or a nanny or something like that. And they wouldn't often say the word abusive, but it was very clear that that's what was going on. And Mm -hmm. I just felt that each and every one of them that came into my office would feel as if they were completely alone, that no one else was experiencing what they were experiencing. And that sense of isolation was really disturbing me. And it made me feel like, you know, we need to know that we're not alone. Well, Logically, we might know it. We know that sometimes you don't always get the best teachers in school. Sometimes teachers take their own stuff out on their students occasionally, you know. So we know that not every parent is as loving and nurturing as they should be. We know this intellectually, but when it actually affects us and we're going out into the world and we're faced with presenting ourselves in public, it feels very much like we're alone. We feel isolated with our problems, that no one else could possibly feel this way or something like that. And so I Mm -hmm. wanted each of these stories, I think there's maybe, I don't know, seven or eight people there, um, to hopefully resonate. And, you know, for those who, who need it, and be able to say, oh, I don't have to carry this for the rest of my life. I really don't have to carry a debilitating inner critic that tells me I'm never not going to be good at this. And the answer about that is you don't. All of the things that I've worked on with my clients um, in terms of getting over really intense fears that have been linked to something else, uh, we've moved through all of those problems. And I have people who've walked out of my office in just a few sessions completely light Free, happy, not happy, <laughs> you know, biting at yeah. them, and um, and I see that. So you know, I wanted that to reach that message to reach more people. The thought that book was the way to go. Terribly long answer for you.
1: No, no, it, it makes complete sense, and I hope that helps people out there. I, I think one of my other questions is, uh, what about content? Like, what about do you help with that? Like the actual content of what should be spoken on stage i think that's one of my biggest things so you know like just me personally like i have a hay house book and i'm a self-help author and i've got a nine point plan of change but you know for the life of me i can't go from that to um you know figuring out what exactly it is i'm supposed to say on stage you know that keeps yeah. keep you know people interested and so it, there's a huge disconnect of like I don't It's not self-confidence. It's more of like a just a complete unknown of like what am I supposed to do? You know, so what? Yeah, I
2: I think it's wonderful that you brought this up. Very few people ask me about this. You know, I think it's another skill. It's a it's a not completely a separate skill. If you're a, if you're a pretty good writer and you know what you want to say, but writing a book yeah. or writing an article or writing a speech—they're all slightly different, aren't they? And there's sure. great speech writers out there that uh, really have honed that skill, Um, and I wish one of them was under my employment, (laughs) (laughs) I have to admit for myself, right? Um, Yeah. To answer your question, so again, I think, you know, remembering, oh, this is a certain skill, too, that has to be developed. Uh, but to answer your question, do I help people with the development of their speeches, typically what happens is I if that's the case, if somebody is coming in and they need some help with the development, they'll usually come to me with some kind of a rough draft or outline. Hmm. And okay. that draft, I will help them shape. I will help them cut it. So anything that is repetitive will cut it out. Um, if something is being said that maybe isn't going to land as well as, you know, we need to rephrase some things. Um, every once in a while, I think people can accidentally, very much accidentally, be a little condescending when they're trying to be provocative or interesting. Um, or sometimes if they're throwing out questions, but they don't answer the question for the audience. There's sometimes, you know, things like that need polishing sure. and shaping. And I can certainly do that. Uh if, it's rare that somebody comes in who really, really needs a lot of help because usually people have their own writers, the, the clients I see. They have their own writers or their speeches are very technical. And when you have a really technical speech, then you don't need really a, a polished, you know. Yeah, the entertaining uh, part or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah the, you don't you don't really need somebody to, to write something with you like a TED Talk where you're really taking people on a journey because it's much more technical than that. Um, But there are times. And so what what I do with someone who comes in with a very, very rough draft or not 100% sure what they want to say, then we'll brainstorm. And I'll I'll do a lot of digging and a lot of questions, a lot of um, getting them to really hone in on what is the main message, what is the main objective of what they want to get across, what do they want their audience to hear, and what is the purpose of speaking in the first place at the particular occasion with this particular audience and we'll start to develop, you know, from there, the, the content. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that I probably do, but I don't sit down and write for people. That's definitely not my skill set. And, and I think, you know, a client's better off having a a writer to help them with that, if that's what they
1: need. No, yeah, no, that, that helps a lot. Thank you for, for that. Um, We have a question. If you, I'm not going to open the phone up live though. So I'm just going to take your typed question. Is, is that okay with you, Lisa, if we take questions from the yeah. audience mm-hmm. listening? Okay. I won't open up the phone line. So um, the question is in your top, you know, maybe like one, one, two, three uh, tips to help somebody be their, you know, better speaker, <laughs> a better version of themselves speaking is kind of what it says here. Uh, what would you recommend? That people do. So I, I assume, caller, you can type in here if you're already speaking and just want to be better. Um, or if you're new at it, let me know. I think it's they're already speaking, speaking and want to be better at it. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, yep, that's the, the question. First... <laughs> so, was choppy. Oh, okay,
2: so, uh, so three, top three. Uh, the first thing I would say is the mind, your mindset, check in with your mindset and make sure that your focus is on your message or on the work, or whatever it is that you're speaking about, and that your focus does not get pulled into you, Uh, meaning, you know, you have to remove your ego. You have to get your ego out of the picture. Don't worry about how you are being perceived. In other words, do they like me? Am I a good speaker? Those kinds of things. You can't be really present with the audience if your focus is not on getting the message to your audience. So always your mindset is first. And that will affect everything else. Then the next thing you have is the physicality of voice and speech. You have to be breathing. And as much as that sounds so yeah. obvious, so many people, you know, when we get nervous, even just slightly, we stop breathing. And we don't realize we're not breathing. Um, and then from there, you get this terrible domino effect of, you know, your voice might start to quiver or you don't get enough oxygen to your brain or things like that. But even if you're not that nervous of a speaker, it's still a good re- uh, reminder. You have to breathe. You have to breathe slowly and deeply and take pauses to do it. And if you do that, then the audience can relax and be present with you as well. Then the third part um, So my third, the first one is your mindset. Make sure it's very clear. Second one is make sure that you're breathing. And the third part is make sure that you really have something of value you want to share. So your content is important to you. And hopefully that will ground you. So anything that might come up, any intrusive thoughts or let's say a technical problem occurs that distracts you or something like that, you can keep going back to what is your main purpose for speaking and that will ground you and that purpose should be bigger than you it should be bigger than the audience it should resonate beyond that does
1: Mm -hmm. all make sense good yep i think that's that's very helpful yep the person said thank you (laughs) so thank you for that (laughs) um you have another question here this one oh we're going to go back to the fear um complete uh terrible speaking experience and um is now completely afraid of public speaking got up i'm I don't know what it, yeah, got up, hang on, I'm reading, (laughs) I'm reading as I'm talking, (laughs) Uh, got up in front of a group, bad speaking experience, still would like to be a speaker, Uh, there's one, that, now that's kind of a a whammy of fear right there to get back up in front of the crowd, you go, right? (laughs) So the
2: question is, how do I get back up after a bad experience?
1: Yeah, yeah, get back up again. Uh Yeah.
2: This is a great question. Uh, You have to simply make the decision that you're going to do it and you're going to accept the fact that everyone who is in front of an audience at some point in their life has felt the same way. We've all had moments where we thought we could do better. There are sometimes things just are beyond our control or they just go south or whatever the reason is. But everyone has had it. And I can think... Of, there's very few exceptions in my – I'm being very honest here. There are very <laughs> few exceptions. I think the exceptions are people who are trained young in some way. People forget – I'm going to pull out a big speaker now. People forget that Martin Luther King was trained to speak. He was trained as a child. His mother taught him. She was a singer, and she taught him breathing exercises and to speak and to and to sing. And he spent a lot of time in his church in front of people speaking and singing as a child. He didn't just magically wake up in his 20s and all of a sudden was this amazing seeker. You know, he developed that skill. So with, with very few exceptions, uh, many people who have been in the spotlight at some point in their, in their adult life have walked away saying, wow, I just bombed. And it's just part of being human. We're not perfect creatures, We're, and it's okay. And I think the best thing to do is to get up, shake it off, laugh it off accept the fact that you are a human being and move forward now that's the first step the second step is to decide is there what were the reasons what can you learn from it why did it suddenly bomb or go south or not be as good as you wanted it to be maybe you didn't have the support system uh, in place maybe they threw some curveballs at the last moment that threw you off you know sometimes that can happen at a conference or you know something like that um And decide what it is so that you can set yourself up for success and learn what you need to learn the next time. If it's internal, if it's coming from an internal place, like internal fears of speaking, harsh judgments, self-criticisms, things like that, that's, again, when you need to see a coach. You need someone to help you unravel it. Because most of those, when I keep saying inner critic or intrusive thoughts, that comes from something you learned, and it needs to be unlearned. It needs to be unraveled and replaced with something else. And it's much easier to do that uh with a with a good coach than it is to try on your own. Are
1: our best listeners are, you know, our dogs and cats around us for practice or how are we supposed to gather up people to listen to us in practice? Um, <laughs> well I my dog's really sick says, of me. I this got playing. up and I
2: spoke and then I I uh it went south and went didn't go well that must mean that that person was asked to speak or it's part of their job or it's part of something that they're doing.
0: You know what yeah. I mean?
2: So I think you just have to keep doing it. Now, if you don't have a lot of opportunities to speak and it's it's really sporadic and you don't get the practice, you can join Toastmasters for practice. You can... Uh, possibly depending on what your occupation is and your level of interest, you can do some volunteering for speaking. You know, one of my um, C-level clients right now, I'm, I'm helping him find an at-risk group, at-risk youth group that he can go speak with just because he wants to do that. There's, there's many different places you can find yourself speaking in public. that doesn't have to be a huge stage um, to get practice. But it, when all else fails, there's Toastmasters clubs all over the country, you know.
1: Yeah, because the dog and cat always think you're good and cute, right?
2: Hmm. Maybe
1: I said the dog and cat. You know, I was saying earlier, you practice with the you practice your speech with the dog listening or the cat listening, or you know, and they're just looking at you like, yeah, no, that doesn't work. Um, I, you know, I think a lot. What I'm getting at is, I think a lot of people don't have that audience to just go, you know, listen to, and so they're practicing with a the mirror. They're practicing, you know, with You know, who knows, you know, they're just talking out loud, practicing their speeches or what they're going to say um, in their own environment, Um, because I think a lot of people stop even, my my point is, I think a lot of people stop even before going to Toastmasters. That's how much Hmm. fear I think goes into public speaking. For sure. you yeah. so, know so many
2: people. Right. I see what you're saying. So what about people who don't yeah. want to go to Toastmasters or maybe yeah. they don't have the access or whatever? Um, you know, it's, I hear what you're saying because I'm used to living in the metropolitan area and there's a lot of, I have a lot of access to different classes. Uh, if you can find even local community theater that's doing uh, improv that's classes idea. or an acting class, those are great resources, particularly if you're nervous, improv is. Improv classes meaning improvisation like uh, – I don't mean stand-up comedy. I mean improvisation for theater, which is about group uh, scenes, improv scenes. Uh, there's no space for the inner critic to live because you have to be on your toes and you learn spontaneity in, in such a supportive environment as well. Uh, one of the wonderful things about improv and why it's what made its way into the corporate world is because it's so team-building. There's always a yes and. There's never a no the moment that an actor says no the scene dies so that doesn't work so it's always Mm -hmm. about listening to each other engaging with each other being able to speak off the top of your head and if you make a mistake everyone claps that's usually what an improv class is (laughs) so there can be really great resources out there that are also fun you know and I think that's part of it too is we've, we've got to bring a little bit more fun into these areas of our lives that we feel are just you know frightening
1: yeah no, I agree. And I, I'm thinking of what I was I'm was kind of trying to joke around a little bit there with, you know, when I was writing my book, Percolate, I, mean, I read the thing out loud, every word of it out loud, and not to anybody mm-hmm. in particular, my cat and my, my three cats and my dogs were sitting here looking at me like, what are you doing? And even the cat kind of co host the show with me. She was meowing earlier. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I and I think the point is, you really need to, if you're going to public speak and get up in front of a crowd you can't just sit in, you know, in your house, in your office or whatever, and practice. You probably need to test that out in front of a few people, at least, before you get up on stage and deliver the speech, correct? Especially, I was trying to think of people, like, who need note cards. I think I'm probably a pretty good candidate for needing note cards, even, um, and not having the thing completely memorized for about, till about, try 20, maybe. I mean, I've been public speaking, I've public You know, I did all that before, like in my 20s, and I I used to carry around note cards for a real long time. So is that a huge faux pas, like to not have something memorized and use note cards? People making funny up there with note cards? Mm.
2: No, it depends on the context. So if you are giving a speech at a conference, typically you wouldn't have note cards. It also depends on the context and how much of it is, how long it is, sorry. Yeah. Um, if you're doing a TED Talk, you wouldn't have note cards. Absolutely not. You need to memorize it. Um, but I think in other areas, you can. You can. Okay. There are times that at a conference where it's something highly technical and you really need your note cards just as bullet points. Um, if you don't have a comfort monitor. So, you know, the comfort monitor, some people call comfort monitors um, something else. But basically at the bottom of the stage, there's your slide and your topics, so to help keep mm-hmm. you on point and know where you are, and so you don't have to look upstage at your slides. So in those situations, you probably don't need no parts as much. Um, so I think it really just depends on the audience, the setting, you know, where are you, who are you speaking to, that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, I think whatever you do, no matter what you're doing, make sure you're not criticizing yourself around it. If you decide you need no cards, and that's not going to make you feel more comfortable. Then, then have them. Mm-hmm. No cards.
1: Own it. There's no. Yeah. There's
2: no reason. There's no law. <laughs> <It's laughs> no law to do
1: this. You know? <laughs> there's no law. Um, says, no, but you I can't have no cards. agreement
2: with this head talk. <laughs> they they want yeah. you to memorize it, and you've already signed something, so that's a
1: little different. But yeah, but beyond no that, cards with TEDx on the back would be okay. <laughs> you know, each one you're flipping through the, <laughs> the audience, these TEDx on the back. Right. Um Yeah. Whatever. Um, we have a question about anxiety. I'm going to go just a tiny bit more with you, if that's okay. I know we said a half an hour, but we're going to go just a tiny, tiny bit more. Um, somebody sure. wants to know if, if um, they have such bad anxiety about public speaking that they are wondering if maybe it's not for them.
2: They're wondering if it's not for them? Is that what you said? huh. Yeah, if they just shouldn't um, do it. Well, but what's the question? What do I think of that? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> uh, well, I think it depends. If you really, I mean, in life, if you really don't have a need to do something, if it doesn't relate to your job or if it doesn't relate to volunteer work you do or if it doesn't relate to your life and you don't want to do it and you've been put in the position a couple times of doing it and you don't want to, you have to take control of your own life. My answer, my personal answer is then don't do it if it's if it's something like that. However, if you are standing on the sidelines and thinking, Somebody else is presenting my work, and I want to be the one presenting my work, but I'm too nervous to present my work. That's different. Then I think you need a coach. You need to work at it and you need to take some classes and move forward because you shouldn't – I don't think people should shortchange themselves. Mm-hmm. At any and age, there's going too. To be, and it's always a good thing to do in terms of growth. And, you know, what yeah. are you going to do with – you're at a wedding and you have to give a toast and you suddenly, are you going to turn that down? I mean, you know what I mean? There's, there's always, yeah. Yeah, no. It could be something that is it. really important in life where you're going to have to stand up in front of other people and speak. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, if this was my client, if, the, if a person walked into my office and said that to me, I would find out why, why is really? the fear of public speaking happening in the first place? Because yeah, oftentimes, um, not always, but sometimes, let's just say, the person doesn't know why. And I yeah. am, if I can, can I take a second to refer to my book real quickly?
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Refer to your book all you want because that is a great is a, book. It's a bit
2: of a deep one. But I had a lady come to me, I think it's been a couple years now, and she uh, is at a C-level position in her company, and she is a person who has somebody else deliver all of her talks. Um, because she's in a position where she can do that she just, you know that's
1: about gets, the way i, I feel about it like too it's <laughs> like here who can i hire um, to go talk she, about this <laughs> right
2: funny. but she didn't know why she was having such anxiety i mean she was having right. a debilitating fear and a horrible physiological response really sweating really shaking yeah. just could not and I think she even said this to me, uh, did not like the feeling of eyes on her, did not like being seen. Those are kind of common with basic stage fright, but with her, it was much deeper. Most people don't have the kind of level of fear she was having. So I had to really dig at it. I dug and I dug. I think I named her Grace in my book. I put her in the book. I dug quite a bit to finally figure out what had happened. And, um, what had really happened to her as a teenager is that she had gone in for a surgery, uh, a normal surgery, and she was very uh, well supported by her family, and it was nothing debilitating. It was just a little corrective surgery, like an overbite or something simple like that. Um, an intern sexually assaulted her in the recovery room. And <sighs> the reason she never put it together that that was what caused her fear of speaking was because it just didn't, in her mind, the logic, she didn't see the link. But for an outsider could see the link, because what had happened was that the fear started right after she was released from the hospital. So we know that it had to be something right before that. And the second thing was that um, when somebody is stalking you, they are watching you. And and on, on a sort of primal level, we feel that, or we know it. And no one just walks by a recovery room in a hospital and does something like that. That person must have been stalking and watching and whatnot. So I I warned you that this was going to get a little deep, but because it was such a traumatic event for her, she didn't really want to connect some of the dots, which is understandable and human. Um, And because of, like I said, it didn't seem to be directly related to speaking, but it was very much related to being watched and very traumatic. So I think... If it's something that is bugging you to the point where you get a really primal, fearful response in terms of being seen by others, in terms of standing up and speaking, it is worth it to look in your past and ask the questions. When did this start? What are my earliest memories of feeling this way? What could have possibly happened? And it could be something, you know, likely something less dramatic than that. But if you're having something that's so debilitating, you just don't, even want, to, I don't want to do it again. Um, there's probably something there. Yeah, yeah you know.
1: It, even another probably, client of
2: mine, it was just related to school. had a had a very sort of mean teacher that would would bully him and things like that. You know, yeah. these things can happen. But the, the point is, they can also be unravelled. They can be undone, and you can yeah.
1: move past them. Well, and I, you know, I I think it's really neat that you take the time to. You know, uncover these things with people, too, um, to help people find their voice, because it probably translates beyond even just public speaking, but it probably affects multiple areas of the person's life.
2: Yes, no? Yeah, I've probably caused a few divorces. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm <laughs> kidding. No, actually, people no. don't tend to report that as much. I mean, on a rare occasion, you know, yeah. uh, when it comes to though. yes, I'll hear someone say, I feel so much more confident now in even speaking up in other places. Or, you know, yes, I think probably it does affect other areas. But in terms of my decision making as to what I will deal with, um, whatever sta- whatever's getting in the way of one of my clients, being the speaker they want to be, mm-hmm. whatever's on the table, I'm going to address it. If there's yeah. a situation where something is really outside of my area of expertise, I will refer them out. So that could be something that's really physical, like maybe some vocal fold damage and they need to see a doctor for that. or maybe I've had uh, once I had somebody come to me who had relatively severe Asperger's, and even though I could see that, um, I'm not a neurologist, and that's not my specialty, so I really wanted uh, that gentleman to see someone who specialized in that, that area. However, some of these other things, uh, if it's something I know I can deal with and I feel like the client is open to working with me on it, then I will just address whatever's is in, in the room.
1: Now, I, I want to ask one more thing, and then we're going to go here. On, on accent special, specialists, does that mean you teach people their accent for a part or strip people of their accent for, like, TV news to give them a more Midwestern accent or, you know, get rid of the the park the car, you know, kind of thing? Um, what, is that? Is that both ways? Because that's a, that's yes, a really neat both ways. So
2: yeah, yeah, it goes both ways. And that stems originally from my acting training. And then my mm-hmm. master's degree was heavily focused on accent training and, um, what do you call it, accent training and phonetics. So mm-hmm. I have worked with people who are not Native, you know, Native English speakers to reduce their accent if there's a clarity issue, if they're, if they're having people ask them to repeat themselves and that kind of thing. And I've worked with a lot of actors in terms of acquiring an accent. I just worked with two mm-hmm. actors. They were so brilliant that they got their accents in less than an hour. I couldn't believe it. One was a Dublin wow. accent and the other one was a, a cockney accent, which is really hard to do for an American, I think.
1: So it's, the answer is both. Great. I work with both. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's an interest of mine. I always think it's fascinating when somebody can, um, who's not from here, just completely removes their accent and you think they're from the USA with their, with their just like Midwestern accent or whatever it is, you know, they've got the mm-hmm. UK accent that is gone, you know, you're like, how do you do that? um mm-hmm. and carry it for like a whole movie or whatever so i i'm always pretty fascinated with that when you're giving somebody an accent or taking it away um or making it like super specific like you just did for a certain part of the country or a certain level of income or what you know whatever it is it's uh it's pretty interesting um how how people do that did you learn to do that
2: uh, my, you know, As I was stating, my interest in accent work stemmed from being an actor because I was I had many parts where I had to learn accents. I was often cast as, I'm a Californian, but I was often cast as somebody from the East Coast. Um, and mm-hmm. so I had to learn a Manhattan accent, a Brock accent <laughs> at one part. I had to learn um, Tidewater accent, Tennessee Williams, various things would come up and um, but the the being able to teach it came from my master's degree it was heavily focused on anything that a voice and speech teacher would have to deal with in conservatories and drama conservatories uh we have to train actors there so an actor has to get um heart right you can't just go up and fake the accent (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and um, make that up Yeah, one of my internships that I did in uh, just outside of London was for a a college that had an American uh, theater training section to it. Uh, So I had they those actors had to get the general American accent and pick up a couple other more common accents. And so I trained theirs, trained them as well, and you know whatnot. So yeah, so part of it is uh, my training, part of it is my acting
1: training, part of it is my phonetic training, and then
0: experience.
1: Well, um, I'm, I'm so glad that I, that we, you know, we got to have this conversation with you and thank you for being here on the mm. Best Ever You show and being involved in our network because it was really fun to come across your book, um, open it up and then learn all about you. And then um have to, <laughs> sorry, I had to cancel a few times. I, I, my mom was sick and things like that. So I really appreciate you sticking with me and, um, and being here today It matters. And I think that uh, your information really helps a lot more people than you may ever even know. um, Because it's one of those topics sometimes that people, people, you know, try and, I don't know, (laughs) um, you know, learn on their own. And I think you made a very good point to hire a coach or go to the Toastmasters or, Um, you know, like move up and beyond and take that next step to do, you know, a little bit more to, to be a better public speaker. I I mean, I just think it's really cool opening doors here to help people be their best. So I appreciate it. Um, Where can people, yeah, no, thank you. Where can people find you? I I know we gave your website out earlier. It's LisaWentz.com. Are you on social media or. uh. -uh?
2: Um, you know, I'm not yeah. that active on social media, much okay, to um, my publisher's chagrin. Uh, I definitely <laughs> can be found on LinkedIn, and okay. I'm in the San Francisco Bay area. Bay area. Um, but LisaWentz.com is the easiest way to find me or locate me if you want to ask a question or further the conversation okay. in some way. Okay. Um, and as okay. far as the book is concerned, the book is, uh, "Grace Under Pressure" is available. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and all the usual places, if that's of interest. Uh, yeah. And I can be found on LinkedIn in terms of professional connection.
1: Perfect. Yeah. And yeah, I'm from the Bay Area. I moved to Maine from there. Uh, my Two of my kids were born in Walnut Creek. I don't know if I told you that or not. Um, love no, it out uh, there. Yeah. Now, we we have clients out there, too. So we visit. Uh, when it snows, we go back to San Francisco. <laughs> so maybe we'll see you. Um <laughs> All right. I've kept you over. Thank thank you, Lisa, really, for, for being here. And um, thank you for your time and your energy and your wisdom. I appreciate it very much. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Yeah. Thank you. We'll Bye. enjoy the snow here. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. That was Lisa Wentz. Remember, she's the founder of the San Francisco Voice Center. She's clearly a public speaking expert. That was great information for us all. And she's also the author of Grace Under Pressure, a master class in public speaking. You can visit her website at lisawentz.com. And thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. Thanks. Take care, everybody. Enjoy the snow.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You.